And I think it's important to realize where exactly your asset fits in that spectrum because I realized that the more high end is the product, it's very, very affected by many things. So it's tied to not only one circumstances, but to many of them, political, economical, social. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever, stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guests, Paolo Caputo. Paolo, are you ready to rock? Let's rock. Let's do it. All right. So, Paolo is pursuing his MBA at McGill University in Canada with a concentration in global leadership and strategy. After graduating with a bachelor's of economics degree from Campinas University in Brazil, Paolo worked for five years at Sarila, the largest real estate company in Latin America, acting as a regional coordinator in his last role. Paolo then spent a summer launching Uber's operations in Belo Horizonte before co-founding Banco in a social enterprise with the objective of supporting and scaling social impact businesses in Brazil. At Banco, Paulo developed an in-house business methodology framed around and aligning with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Paulo is interested in pursuing careers in scalable technologies and impactful industries with a particular focus in AI and entertainment. His personal interests include tennis, outdoor activities, and ladies and gentlemen, coffee brewing methods. That's critical. And barbecuing. He is the executive president of McGill's One World, One Culture Club and was recently awarded with the Mandri Mugenberg Family MBA Leadership Award. Paolo, take a minute, fill in any further tidbits about your life. Yeah, as you could see, I haven't had a very linear story. And just for example, I just got involved to ski here in Canada. It's very, 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 very cold. My friend, completely different from most of the audience that are listening to us right now. And from a Brazilian perspective, it's something that people thought would be impossible. But most of the things that I did in my life, it was also impossible until I went there and make it. So I'm very happy with that. And I'm feeling great about it. That is cool. And I remember starting skiing when I was young. I grew up in Ohio and I always said in Ohio, we didn't have mountains, we had hills and they'd carry us up to the top of the hill and then we'd go down and a few minutes later, we were at the bottom of the hill. But yes, I could imagine learning skiing at a later age is a challenge. In fact, I have another skiing story. My niece, Sophie, who's out there in America and she's relaxing at home. Why? Because she went out skiing with family and she had an accident and somebody's ski sliced her leg and she had a major, yeah, I mean, it's like a total freak accident, but she's recovering from that now, but that was pretty scary. So I remember when I was up on the ski slopes last was about five years ago and it was probably 15 years before that. And I got up to the top of that hill and I said to myself, Andrew, reduce your risk, go slow. And that's exactly yeah. what I did. So I came home safe. <laughs> that's good. I'm so engaged with ski that I'm going to Japan in a couple of weeks, the end of April, and I'm definitely looking for a place to go and ski. So if everyone that are listening to us can share a nice spot and a good trip to go, it would be a blast. I'm definitely looking for that. 
That's fantastic. In fact, I would love to go to Japan and do some hikes. I've been looking at some of those recently. So if we have any listeners that know about hikes in Japan, that would be pretty cool too. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Okay, so that started happened maybe seven years ago, but I decided to talk about that because it was a real fail. So it was not something that most of the times when you're investing, you can also find ways to figure out how to recover or to minimize the losses. But that one was critical and it was a real fail. And it was related to a real estate apartment, a real estate investment that I did. As you mentioned, I use it to work for a real estate company, the largest real estate company in South America, in fact. And as an employee, I received an opportunity to invest in one of their apartments. And the conditions were pretty good. Basically, they waived all the commercial marketings and transactional fees. So I'm talking about 17, 20% of the face value of the apartment. And just to make people more acquainted to the real estate investment in Brazil, basically you have during the construction period, you just have to meet 30% of the financial obligations. And the 70% it's what's called after they give you the key. So you find a financial institution to give you credit and then you pay your mortgage to them. And at the time, my reasoning was okay. I'm very, very, very inside the business. I really know exactly what to do. The apartment was in Campinas, a place that I used to live. So I was also very, very comfortable with where it was located, the potential buyers. And my idea was to sell during the construction period. So I would be an early investor and also an earlier seller. And basically, I was completely investing in something that was valuing at the time. And I thought that would be a great and fantastic return. But as you mentioned, we are here to talk about fail and what have happened in a bad way. And basically, I think this is also one of the learnings that I take. And inside, I can see how we can be trapped by the confirmation bias. When we are looking to invest in something, we are just looking to the positive things and what we are expecting to get at the end. So I was expecting to find someone that would buy that. I would expecting to know exactly the right time to go out. I was expecting exactly that kind of price and that ticket. And things didn't happen that way. And basically, all the excitement that I had at the beginning, I, I was also investing in a product that was part of my life because I use it to work to the company. So the social validation, it was also another component of that decision, right? So you are really believing something that you are working for. So just buy an apartment, it couldn't be better. But <laughs> at the end, as we know, or we should know, South America and Brazil specifically, it's always a roller coaster in terms of economics and in terms of politics. And I got hit to one of these movements. It was the first declining moment of the previous government. And basically, when we are talking about investments in real estate, this is a product that's a very high-end product. So it's on the top of the chain of products that people can buy in their lives. Maybe there are just few of them above, maybe airplanes, I don't know, boats and things like that. But this is one of the things that you don't buy every day. 
And I think it's important to realize where exactly your asset fits in that spectrum because I realized that the more high-end is the product, it's very, very affected by many things. So it's tied to not only one circumstances, but to many of them, political, economical, social. And at the end, like just making a leap here for the sake of time, I tried to sell this apartment a couple of times. All the, the sales force, I knew them and they were very friends of mine, but the market was completely stocked. And it was not a problem of the product or a problem of the price. It's just people were not looking for apartment at that moment. Because when you have a blur in the political and economical cycle, most probably you're not taking risk. You're not taking that kind of decisions anymore. So people tap back and wait to recover. And the real estate, at least in Brazil, it's a product that the business cycle it's the first one to get in bad situation and the last one to recover. So everything needs to be back on track until you can start to resell apartments and those high-end products. So you need to be very, very, very comfortable for a big period of time that you are exposed, you have invested and you're cashing out completely during this process. And that was my short but painful history. And how did it end or do you still own the property? No, no. The property I had to give up and at the end I couldn't find another buyer and I entered a deal with the real estate company. So I sell back to them and they, of course, they pay much less than I have paid. So a kind of defeat that I was not charged at the beginning. <laughs> Maybe I paid twice or triple the amount when I exit the investment. Right. Okay. And if you were to list out, what did you learn from this experience? What would be your main points? Yeah, I think it's a very, very, very good question. And I have seen many people doing this in, in different sort of business. And I'm quite sure that many of our listeners can relate to their lives right now. Operate a business, it's completely different in, uh, to invest in one. So I really thought that because I was inside the corporation and I was working for a real estate company and I have been to different areas of the company and I really knew the business, I would be a good investor on that. But be an investor, it's completely different than operate the business. And even for a stock market, it doesn't mean that if you produce apparel or clothing, you're going to be good invest on that kind of stock. It's completely different the, the signs that the market send from the, the signs that you can perceive being inside that structure. So you are completely biased and you can see just a narrow part of the entire picture. So that's for sure. It's my first lesson. The second one, it's how you can be really influenced by explicit and implicit things. So we are always being bombarded by different messages that the market sent to us. So in my case, for example, they highly invested in promotions for employees. So they really emphasized how the discount could make the investment good. And when I was talking to my peers and to my boss that they were always send me positive signs and like confirmations from what I was expecting to hear. It's really tough in that kind of situation to see someone raising a red flag and say, hey, watch out to this or watch out to that. This could happen completely different and you should be more aware of X, Y, and Z. So if you feel and you are seeing yourself in that kind of situation, 
try to go outside, try to talk with people that never bought an apartment, never heard about a stock that you are trying to buy or sell or whatever. Try to explain them the business. If they don't realize, most probably they will ask you very good questions that you can ask yourself after and really drill down to the details that you are trying to look or to prove and then decide. I'm not saying don't invest, but like try a different path. And for last but not least, I think it's be aware and look for details. I never thought that the economical or the political context would be so, so, so tough on that kind of thing. And it was completely out of my decision process. I never thought about that. And sometimes it can be related to the government the federal government, but sometimes even the local government can place different things on your investment. And be aware of that. It's not something that you can realize how important it is upfront. So be aware of that as well. Great. All right. So let me summarize what I take away from your story and tell me if I've missed anything. The first thing I take away is the concept of discretionary items. And what's the difference between staple and discretionary. In the stock market, we have two sectors. They're both called consumer. One's called staples and one's called discretionary. The whole point of the discretionary one is that it's, it's a product that can be put off. It's a purchase or an item that can be put off. A car, a house, a condo, even a TV. These discretionary items can get the difference between that and a staple such as coffee <laughs> or food then those staples, people keep buying them even when there's a recession, although it may go down a bit. But when the economy has a hard time, it's staples that really get hurt. So make sure you understand what sector that you're in and what your, you know, the characteristics of that. The second thing that I take away is something that I think we often forget, and that is external factors. You know, everything was right about this. You're working for the company. You have good information. It's a good product. You believe in it. Other people around you are making money in it. If things didn't go sour in the economy or in the political situation, you probably would have been fine. But it's that external factor that hits. And that external factor can knock you out. And even if you didn't even know it would be coming. So always beware. Now, the point is, how do you deal with external factors? And that brings me to the six common mistakes that I have found from all my interviews. And I would say this common mistake right now we're talking about is number two, which is failed to properly assess and manage risk. And you probably assess the risk reasonably well, but managing the risk is a different thing. So for instance, you may find that you like this particular investment, but the problem that most people do is that they put a lot of their money into that particular investment. So they're not necessarily managing the risk of their overall portfolio. If this was five or 10% of the money that you were investing, then you probably could have figured out a way to work around it, to maybe stay with it for a longer time, or you could have just cut out of it without much damage. But it seems like, you know, particularly when we're young, it's hard to diversify because we just don't have the amount of capital to be able to do that. And so that item number two, and then there's also the common mistake number six, which is driven by emotion or flawed thinking. And you talked about it yourself, that you were surrounded by people that were confirming your investment. And you were surrounded, it's a little bit different in this case than the common confirmation bias. The common confirmation bias is that people go out and they're looking around the internet or around brokers or other people to try to find people 
who agree with their idea. But here, you were just simply surrounded by people who agreed, and probably some of them made money over the years that they did this type of thing. So it wasn't like they were misleading or lying or something. They just, nobody was talking about how, oh, it could all go wrong. So those are the four things that I take away from. Is there anything you'd add? No, I think it, you nailed perfectly. And this is very tied to what I, I really believe that the face value, it's something completely different from the value perceived. And I really believe that the value perceived is a measurement that is perceived throughout the time. So it's not something that you can pay whatever you want. It can be cheap, it can be expensive, but cheap or expensive, you're going to see throughout the years, throughout the time. As time goes by, you have that real measurement of if you paid uh, cheap or if you paid more than it worth it. So I think for investments, it's very important to have and to know what is your profile. I am a kind of person that I love to run the long-term run. And I entered a thing that needed to be mature in a couple of months, like 24 months, a year, two years. And it's completely different from my profile. So be tied to the things and to the values that you believe and to the skills that you have. It's very hard to come out with different skills that you don't have inside yeah, yourself. The other part to take away from this for the listeners too is don't necessarily run away from offers that your company's making because sometimes those can be very valuable. And in fact, if you were a lower level employee that thought, I, I just need a place to live and this is a good deal for me, it would have been a whole different story. I'm not, yeah, that person would not be trying to flip it. So in fact, this was probably a good deal for some of the people, but it just, that's where we have to think about managing our own risk in our own portfolio. So, all right, so now let's wrap it up. Based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate of being faced with this same type of opportunity? What should they do? What's the number one thing? Only one. Be surrounded by people that can challenge your thoughts and your assumptions, and you can learn from them every time. So it's something that I heard that you are the average of the five persons that you surround yourself, and I really believe in that. So it's critical for any kind of investment, any kind of decisions. Talk with people that you trust and second, that can provide you good feedback about your reasoning and can challenge your assumptions. That's great advice. You know, I'm just recently writing a one-page document summarizing something about my company and I have five different people that I really trust. And once I spent a lot of time trying to write it, I sent it out to those five people and say, could you give me some comment? It was painful. The feedback that they got that they sent me, like, you know, this isn't clear, that, no, this, that. But in the end, the support that we get from people who are challenging what we do is valuable. All right, let's talk about your number one goal for the next 12 months. What has got you excited these days? Okay, so uh, as you said, I'm just finishing my first year of the MBA and I'm definitely looking to do an exchange in China. So McGill has many partnerships with universities in China and I got really fascinated by Asia. I had a great experience in Thailand, one of the best of my life, and I'm definitely looking to spend a couple of months more there and my main focus keep going keep striving to be more connected to ai to scalable tax and 
China and all Asia, it's doing a great job in that sense. And I'm quite sure that to understand the future and to be better positioning, you need to be aware of what they're doing and need to experience Asia for a period of time. That's awesome. I love it. I remember when I was 26 and I had finished my MBA, I was working at Pepsi in Los Angeles and I had been to Thailand once and to Japan and I decided I wanted to move to Thailand. So I moved to Thailand in 1992 and it was really the best decision I ever made. It just opened up a whole new world for me. And I started going to China about seven years ago through, I mean, we originally met at the SCG Bangkok Business Challenge at Sasin. And I actually met my, a guy there that was an advisor to a team. He's from China, Dr. Liu Wei. And he invited me to teach at his university in China. And then he invited me to do his, my PhD with him. So on my wall next to me is my graduation certificate of my PhD that I got when I was 50. But the point is, is that uh, I got exposed to China and I felt the same way that you felt when you came to Thailand. Like you got to get your feet on the ground to understand what's really going on there. So I commend you for that. And I'm sure within a year, you're going to secure that exchange and I want to hear about it and uh, hopefully I'll see you there. So yeah, for sure. It would be great to be back in Asia and to talk more and visit you or receive you, whatever I, yeah. I, I will be. That's for sure. Awesome. All right. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we wrap up, Paolo, thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Oh, my pleasure, uh, Andrew. It was a lovely thing, and I, I really believe in giving back. This is something that I, I learned since the beginning of my career, and for me, this is part of it. So count on me whenever you want and need. And second, it's I think more and more failure, it's a part of any success. So people, a couple of years ago, we looked to, to fail from a different perspective, and now I can see from completely other spectrum so it's part of that go for it don't stop be resilient be really know what you want and there is no path with only success and and winnings it's part of the game so play the game bring your a game to the game and at the end you're gonna strive amen i mean i started this whole podcast because i wanted people to think that failure are the battle scars that bring us success there are learnings and I wanted to, to some extent, you know, nobody wishes failure, but we should celebrate and learn from failure. We have enough stories of winning around us in all the books and podcasts, but this one celebrates the learning that we can do about failure. So that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow and protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, I'll see you on the upside.